I'm Tom. And I'm Chris. And this is Room for Innocence. Okay. Today, we're going to talk about a little situation involving a sniper. Okay. Do cool. you know the case? Well, it would be the DC sniper, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, I remember you lived in DC at the time or in that area. Yeah. And were very concerned. I probably lived in Florida because I've been here forever. And it was just another news story. But it yeah. was people were freaked out and they were shooting people. That was crazy. So let's talk about it. Yeah. So this, the DC sniper, the Beltway sniper, you'll hear it called one of those actually it would be DC snipers or beltway snipers because there were more than one. And this happened in fall of 2002. So, you know, I lived here. I live in Virginia, just outside Washington, DC. Okay. And this is where I lived when this happened. And I was in Orlando. That was my first semester of law school. Oh, yeah. Well, who knew that you'd be sitting here today talking about the beltway snipers? I knew me. it. I, I knew it at the time. On our own podcast. Yeah. I was like 20 years from now, I'm going to be talking about 20 years. Holy shit. Like <laughs> it was 20 years ago. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. So I remember it really well. Um, looking out for white vans, being terrified to pump gas, you know, ducking down or like getting in the car and ducking down while pumping gas, speed walking to the car in the parking lot. And and trying to pretend that I wasn't afraid, you know, we would all joke like, oh, serpentine, serpentine. But the reality, the reality is you were like, this dude is out there somewhere and it could be me. And it was terrifying. So here goes. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about it. All right. On October 2nd, 2002, in Aspen Hill, Maryland. 55-year-old James Martin stopped at Shopper's Food Warehouse, a local grocery chain, to pick up some groceries after work. A gunshot split the air, and James fell to the ground in the parking lot. A police officer nearby heard the shot and ran over to render aid, but James died within minutes, leaving behind a wife and 11-year-old son. No bullet casing or any other evidence was found nearby. Where was he shot? In the head, the chest. Um, That's my first question. Was this guy a real marksman? You know, or we, we'll get into that, I guess. I don't remember where James Martin was shot. It it would either be the head or the chest. Okay. And I and I don't recall. All right. At seven forty a.m. the next day, a landscaper named James Sonny Buchanan was mowing the lawn of a car dealership when people heard a bang and saw Sonny lying on the ground bleeding. They called 911 and reported that something must have happened to Sonny's lawnmower because, quote, it chopped him up and he's bleeding real bad. He's down and out. At 8.07 a.m., so roughly 30 minutes later, a taxi pulled into a gas station five miles away from there. As the taxi driver, 55-year-old Prem Kumar Walakar, filled his car with gas, a shot rang out, and he stumbled towards a woman named Caroline, bleeding profusely from his chest. Caroline, hysterical, 
called 911 to report that a man had just been killed right in front of her. Now, I'm listening to these names so far. I'm not picking up any sort of demographic pattern to these victims, which was something I was trying to listen for as well. So continue, if you will. But I just I'm, I'm trying to piece this all together as it goes along. Yep. Half an hour later at 837 a.m., a, a wow. 911 caller said a girl had just shot herself. But no, this was the third brutal shooting in less than an hour as the snipers hit Sarah Ramos, a 34-year-old babysitter and housekeeper who was sitting on a bench outside reading a book while she waited for her ride. Holy shit. She's how- sitting outside a shop, like on a, on a little bench. Now, I mean, how far apart are these areas? Is this all? Miles. Five. Okay. You know, they're, well, they're, they're all within like a 10 mile radius. Wow. I don't. Uh, these guys wow. are just driving around. taking. So at, at this point, at this point, people who have just, you know, went to work that morning, they don't even know about the one from the night before. They haven't heard about no. any of this yet. Holy right. crap. But the police okay. are starting to be like, wait, what is happening? Yeah. You know, and they're all so far, I think they're all in Montgomery County, Maryland. Um but I don't know enough about Montgomery County to know if like they would all go through the same 911 dispatch center, you know, like if that connection would be made yet that they've got multiple shootings. Right. Okay. So Sarah Ramos had been shot with a 223 caliber. Why can't I talk tonight? Cause you're stupid. Sorry. <laughs> that, was, that was mean. 223 caliber. Like what does that even mean? I mean, I should know, I guess. Sarah had been shot with a 223 caliber. You said it right. Caliber. 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 Caliber bullet. 223 caliber bullet that went into her forehead and exited out her neck. So that came from above. 223 caliber. Okay. All right. For those of you unfamiliar with ballistics. Yes. Tom. A 223 caliber bullet is a rifle cartridge. Okay. Okay. So I think that in the previous shootings, including James Martin um, from the night before, there were no casings or, or bullets or anything. But when Sarah Ramos was killed, they were able to retrieve the bullet. Interesting. So well, I just, I mean, you know, at this point, they're like, ah, okay, we have a rifle cartridge. So I just I just Googled 223 and it says that it is a popular cartridge. Uh most one of the most popular cartridges currently used in a wide range of semi-automatic and manual action rifles and even handguns. So like a manual action rifle, I would I would think would be, you know, like a sniper type, right? Well, you can know. you imagine a handgun with that bullet in it? I mean, the thing's huge. Yeah. Uh, no, I couldn't really. That, I mean, what kind of gun are we talking about? Anyway, 223. So this girl got okay. shot. So now we've got, we've got a couple of women, a few men. Yep. And it's, um, yeah, so you have these first three men, but then you have this 34-year-old woman, right? And this is the third shooting of the morning, and it's been less than an hour. Wow. All right. The next shooting occurred at 9.58 a.m., so a little bit over an hour after Sarah Ramos, when 25-year-old 
Lori Ann Lewis Rivera was killed while vacuuming her minivan at a Shell gas station in Kensington, Maryland. These four killings took place in just over two hours within a 10-square-mile cluster of Montgomery County, Maryland, the most populous county in Maryland located just outside Washington, D.C., there didn't seem to be any connection among the victims, nor any similarities. They were different races, different ages, and different sexes. The shootings were also in public busy areas with little to no cover for a sniper to hide, so police speculated that a vehicle was involved. A witness near the Sarah Ramos killing had seen a white panel truck in the area. Uh, it's always the guy. Oh, truck. No, I thought it was Zan. Panel like, truck. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Now, I what did, Zan became the symbol of the, of the snipers. Okay. So, I mean, you can just imagine the, like, absolute freaking panic and hysteria at the police department right now. Sure. They're all, they're like, they're, uh, they're, uh, profilers if you will are probably having a very difficult time putting anything together with that information yeah of what could be driving this since it's so random the shooters took a break until 9 20 p.m that night when they shot and killed pascal charlot a 72 year old retired carpenter and haitian immigrant in washington dc That was all one day. I mean, you've you've got the guy at Shoppers Food Warehouse, and then the next day, you have these five killings: four in Maryland and one in D.C. So it's within twenty four hours. Yeah. Wow. The next morning, that's October a lot of killing. 4th, that that is a lot of killing. The next morning, October fourth, the Baltimore Sun reported, "Quote." Police seek white truck in sniper-style attacks. Manhunt sweeps Maryland. So it's just just the speed of this. You know, that all of this news is being gathered and these witness accounts. And and the the very next day, the headline is already about the white truck. In Montgomery County, fear set in and people no longer felt safe going about their regular business. People were running to and from their cars when they were outside, bobbing and weaving, making sure not to walk in a straight line. And children in school were no longer allowed to go outside for recess. Unless they were bad. Don't be bad (laughs) at school. Johnny, go to the playground. (laughs) Don't get on the swings. That's like a Stephen King novel right there. God. Forensic analysis determined the sniper was using a long-range rifle. Autopsies determined the shooter was not shooting from a rooftop, leading authorities to believe they must be shooting from inside a vehicle, perhaps the white panel truck one witness saw. And also, police believe there were at least two perpetrators, one shooting and one driving. And of course, with witness reports of white vans and white trucks at several of the scenes, everyone was looking out for suspicious white vans. Why would they think that there was more than one perp? If the one's driving and one's shooting, they're both in the same place. Why would they think it wasn't just one dude like shooting and then hopping behind the wheel? 
I think it's a couple things. One is, you know, nobody was noticing any suspicious behavior. And I guess they figured if a sniper had to then hop behind the wheel, that at least somebody would notice that that movement. And they just felt like it was more likely that somebody um, did the shooting and then the other person just slowly drove off, you know, without any need to kind of put the gun away and get in their seat. Yeah. Like with a, I mean, I'm not going to Google this and cheat, but just off the top of my head and this, the experience that I have with firearms, um, you know, 500 yards is a pretty good, pretty good shot. You don't have to be a military sniper to hit somebody from that far. Um, like on the rifle, like in the, like say if, if you, if you're at Paris Island training, in at uh boot camp uh 500 yards is is the farthest distance that they have on the rifle range and everybody five football fields 500 yards yeah you that know, seems like extremely far to it's me. pretty far you know like i because i remember like the 200 yards is where we started it's so long ago my god it was 1994 um but i know we would shoot and there's different positions that you would do in the beginning you would be, I, th I think, standing. And then as you get further away, you sit, makes you more stable. And by the time we got back to 500 yards, you're, lay you're lying down completely prone position. And that allows you to not move or jiggle your rifle at all. Because at 500 yards, if you are, are, you can have an almost imperceptible shift in the barrel and be like by millimeters, but by the time that bullet gets 500, 500 yards down to the target, it's, it's moved away several feet. So, but you know, everybody was expected to perform to a certain level and was expected to at least hit the target, you know, from there, I hit mm. straight bullseyes and it was great. Um, but you know, the, the badasses is like, then when you get to like, I, I'm just going to start making up numbers, but I would think that like, you know, a thousand yards, maybe 1500, then you get these guys who shoot from crazy distances, like Chris Kyle, who you were talking about and like the, the furthest shots. I wonder what the world record for a shot is. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious, like how far away a guy like this could be. And the reason I was thinking this also is because it's like when you're watching baseball, when you're live at a baseball game and you watch the, the pitch and then you see the batter hit the ball and you see the ball flying into the outfield. And then a few seconds later you hear pop, you know, you, you hear the actual hit. So from 500 yards away, you, you almost can't even hear it. Um, you kind of can, but it's more just like a crapping crackling kind of snap. It's, a it's like crap. It sounds like somebody's taking a shit from 500 <laughs> yards away. No, it's like, pop. it's not like in the movies where it's like, pop. It's, it's not really like that. So if this guy was like an Uber marksman and he was shooting from 700 yards away or so, you probably would barely even be able to hear it. And if you didn't actually see the person get shot, you wouldn't bother looking around for it. So these guys were probably driving away and nobody was noticing anything. Yeah. All. They, um, people did hear the shots. And everyone, you know, witnesses would say the shot came from over there, you know, and, and ballistics experts and detectives were like, no, you can't tell where a rifle shot comes from. Like it's impossible to tell what direction it comes from because the sound bounces off things. And whatnot. sure, sure. 
Um, they were also in such busy areas. These are urban areas and suburban areas. So I don't think they could get very far, but they were certainly far enough that they were able, like you said, to drive off unnoticed. Maybe the fact that they weren't that far is why they figured there must be two people and to even, be able to get away. You know, even a what would be considered an easy shot with a rifle, like 200 yards, still pretty far. I mean, as, as far as like witnesses being able to tell what's going on, 200 yards, yeah. really, really far, especially in a city. Right. Oh, my God. Because I was visualizing these guys sitting in the woods or something. But you're saying that just that's Mm-mm. not what it was. It was urban. Mm-mm. Okay. Yep. Okay. Next day, October 4th. At 2.30 p.m., 43-year-old Caroline Sewell was shot in the chest in a Michaels parking lot in Fredericksburg, Virginia. So they slept in this day and yeah. got, st- got started after lunch? Okay. Which is about 90 minutes south of Washington, D.C. If they shot her in the chest, I could see that being a shot from pretty far away because you're looking for center mass, mm-hmm. you know, and like shooting for the head is going to be a lot more difficult. Yeah. Yep. But they've now gone 90 minutes south of Washington, D.C. into Fredericksburg, Virginia. Uh, I think this is when, like, my hackles went up. Yeah. Um, this is when it was like, oh, shit, these these guys are anywhere. Yeah. And it was really, it was really scary. And I remember people saying, there's no reason to be scared. I mean, of all the people in the D.C. area, what are the chances you're the ones which is totally fair, but it's also still kind of terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's like, it's like being in the ocean and somebody saying you shouldn't be afraid of being bit by a shark, but you're still like, you know, God, you, it's, you could, the odds are against it ever happening, but it's a reasonable fear. Yeah. And you're like, if there happens to be a shark around here, it's going to eat me, which is like, if I happen, if the sniper happens to be around here and I'm standing out here in this parking lot, you know, I'm, yeah, that, that's a legit fear. I'm a it, it, it makes me sad to think about people like, I think about like kids and children, like being scared yeah. to go to the bus or a parent being scared for their child. Like, yes. you know, all right, all right, Timmy, catch the bus. Don't forget the serpentine. I was not a parent at the time. But I do remember all the parents on the news saying, you know, what do we do? Do we keep them home? Do we all stay at home? How long do we stay at home? When do you know that it's over? And how are they ever going to catch these people? It, it was it was pretty scary. And you would go out in the parking lot and like a white a white van would be driving by and just like my heart would just skip a beat. And the news doesn't help because I'm sure the news is just like, ah, they're all over it. Yeah. Okay, a tip line was set up and calls were pouring in. Oh, sure. <laughs> the shooters took a three-day break, and on, and on October 7th at 8.09 a.m., 13-year-old Iron Brown was shot in the chest and critically wounded as he arrived at Benjamin Tasker Middle School in Bowie, Maryland, another suburb of Washington, wow. D.C. Now that's that's interesting. I mean, the ages are all over the place, and then dipping down into kids. Like, wow, what's the motivation here? You know, like, holy crap! You know, you think about somebody like you think about like Wayne Wayne Williams, and it was all. Who's that? Oh, the um, the Atlanta child murders. 
You know, I don't know that story. Oh my God. Like we live. I've seen, I lived there when that was happening. You did. And, and that's. That's, All right, let's add that to the podcast list. That's one that would, would be good. And I'll just yeah. say this, that because you and I are from the 70s. Like we... Hey, rude. Is it? Uh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's say it a different way. You and I are literally from the time, and I'm four years older. So I 100% am from the time when you go out, you play, maybe you go home for lunch. Maybe you have lunch at your friend's house. Mom's not worried. Streetlights, come on, you come home. I mean, that's just the way it is. Yeah. And then, and then we moved to Atlanta, and then all of a sudden, it was like no, no. It, it was still kind of like that because I remember I would go to my friend's house, and it was a couple of miles away. We would play in the woods. We'd be gone, and all of a sudden, these the kid, the, the kids started, you know, the, the murders started happening, and all of a sudden, it became a thing, a catchphrase. It's it's ten o'clock. Do you know where your child is? No. Oh my yeah. God. Yes. That, is that took that me was. the air stand up on my yes, head. Absolutely. And all of a sudden oh. it, be- it became a thing. And that was sort of the And thing. I was like five. You were really, really young. I remember. Yeah. I remember us living in Atlanta. Oh, and I was wow. in fourth grade. You were in kindergarten. Um, and it was that was sort of the beginning of slow creep into the new era where we are today. Mm-hmm. We're like, you would never let your kids out of your sight. But this situation is totally different. This sniper guy. Wow. Anyway, Wayne Williams. He had a very strict demographic that he was yeah. that he was going for. Um, it was all black men, uh, males, and then this is totally different. It's different races, different sexes, and vastly different ages. Um, yeah, I'm wondering There's if these no guys pattern whatsoever. These guys just like killing people, um, and if they do just like enjoy killing people, they're doing. A, this is very kind of a good way to do it. Like you're not building any kind of pattern. You're driving those forensic psychologists absolutely bonkers trying to figure out where you're going to be next that's part of what it was i think they wanted i think part of how they chose their victim well first of all it's possible that they didn't choose them in any way that it was purely like here's where i can take a shot and you know whoever walks in the way but i think they also wanted to really confuse the police and make the police look bad and and that's almost like none of these guys are good. All anybody who kills some another person is a terrible person. Um, but this is even like, but you can come up with some kind of excuse for a lot of these guys. Not a good excuse, but some kind of reason. There's something in their past, and they go they, this guy kills women, this guy kills young men, this guy kills this kind of person, this guy kills that person because there's some glitch in their personality. But these motherfuckers are just out there killing everybody almost like there's no reason for it like mm-hmm. they're just they just want to kill people or something they have glitches for real though these guys. wow so iron brown this 13 year old he had been kicked off the school bus for eating candy and so his aunt was dropping him off at school so she drops him off at school bam he falls to the ground She's a nurse. She sees him fall to the ground. She uh, goes over there, scoops him up, throws him in the car, and takes off to the hospital. And that saves his life. Okay, good. Wow. I don't think I mentioned it, but Caroline Sewell, the uh, woman that was shot in the Michaels parking lot a few days before, also survived. So they have two victims in a row that that do not die from their wounds. 
Okay. At the scene of Iron's shooting, authorities discover a shell casing, as well as a tarot card, the death card. On the back was written, For you, Mr. Police, code, call me God, do not release to the press. It quickly got released to the press. I was going to say releases it to the press. <laughs> right, exactly. Immediately. So, well, that's when you're begging to be caught. Once you start leaving notes and messages, uh-huh. that's when it's, it's you're done. They're going to get you eventually. Yep. And it gets so much worse. These guys wanted respect and it gets a lot worse. So the, in Maryland, the Montgomery County police chief, his name was Charles Moose. And my recollection of him is that he was real cool. He was like super good looking. He seemed really like authentic. Like he genuinely was trying to protect his community. And this was really tearing him apart. And he gave a press conference after Iron was shot. And he had tears flowing down his cheeks. And he said, you know, he was speaking in this press conference, he's speaking to the sniper. And he said, you're stepping over the line shooting a kid. And it, I remember just being like, oh, Charles Moose, you're the best. The killings continued every two to three days. On October 9th at 8.18 p.m., 53-year-old civil engineer Dean Myers was shot in the head and killed while pumping gas near Manassas, a town in Northern Virginia about an hour southwest of D.C. On the morning of October 11th at 9.30 a.m., 53-year-old businessman Kenneth Bridges was shot and killed while pumping gas near Fredericksburg, right near where Caroline Sewell had been shot in the Michaels parking lot. So they're also bouncing all over the place, up to Manassas, down to Fredericksburg. Where was Iron? Uh, Iron was in Bowie, Maryland. You know, Maryland, Virginia. They're just bouncing all around. Okay. Here comes the one part that I relate to the most from all of this. On October 14th at 9.15 p.m., 47-year-old Linda Franklin, an FBI intelligence analyst, was shot in the head and killed in a covered parking lot at Home Depot in Falls Church, Virginia, about a half hour west of D.C. Oh, yeah. Falls Church. That's right around the corner. Uh-huh. Wow. Okay. Wow. So, October 14th was a Monday, and it was the Columbus Day holiday, so we didn't have work. My now husband and I were at a barbecue at a friend's house in Falls Church, And the host ran out of propane gas for the grill. He zipped on over to the Home Depot, swapped out the propane tank, came home, and the grilling resumed. Within hours, Linda Franklin was shot and killed in the parking lot of that exact same store that my friend had gone to. Fucking hell. When we heard about the shooting later... It just really hit home how close it all was. Like we were staring at the TV and just saying, no way. That guy could just literally have been it. He might have been in the dude's crosshairs and they might have been like, nah. Yeah. 
Let's get somebody else. Or maybe they were going to shoot him, but he bent over to tie his shoe. Right. Because actually the, the snipers were actually aiming at Linda Franklin's husband. And then she went around the back of the car to put something in the trunk. And the sniper was like, oh, that's easier. Boom. Got her. Sure. So yeah, that freaked us out hard. After the Home Depot shooting, this this guy named Matthew Dowdy told police that he had seen the sniper. He said the man appeared to be Middle Eastern and was driving a white van with a burned out brake light. And I mean, again, with the freaking white van, I remember just being terrified anytime I saw a white van. And in particular, I remember stopping at a red light and a white van stopping next to me and just feeling so vulnerable. You don't have to be scared if the van's next to you. You need to be scared when the van's like 500 feet away. Then, yeah, uh, probably. But, but like, what a fucking idiot. Like, you know, they're looking for a white van and you've got a burned out taillight. Like, dude, you're begging to be caught. Right. However, it came to light a few days later that Matthew Dowdy made up his witness account. Surveillance footage showed that he was inside the Home Depot at the time of the shooting and could not have seen anything in the parking lot. But he just wanted to be cool. Just wanted his five minutes of fame. Just one of those weird looky loos who. What a jerk. We hear about that when these things, when big things like this happen, you know, they, they set up almost like call centers just to field through the bullshit calls. You know, people have just ridiculous tips that mean. And they have a call center set up for this. They get over a hundred thousand calls. God almighty. How even imagine? Yeah, how stressful must that be? And you know, almost all of them are going to be bullshit. Yep. And there was a reward. Oh yeah. Oh, I saw him. Oh yeah. All right. Here's where things start to get crazy. Oh, okay. Well, it's not crazy yet. Across the country in Tacoma, Washington, Robert Holmes was watching a news report on the DC sniper shootings, and he realized he might know the shooter. He has a friend from his army days named John Allen Muhammad, who owned a long-range rifle. John's estranged wife had moved with their kids to the Washington, D.C. area. Now, again, that feels really weak to me, but if there's really a reward, why not, right? I feel like he's probably calling because there's a reward, not because I really thinks it's this guy. (laughs) That's that's pretty weak, but if that's true, that's a reasonable call to call that in. Hey, check this guy out. What else did he say about the guy? Did, 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 what else? Tell us more. His call got lost in the shuffle Ugh. With, the, with just the crazy call volume. Another thing that happened is that the sniper himself called the tip line, and they have a recording of it. But so many other people were calling, claiming to be the sniper, that that also got lost. And then there's a recording where the sniper's like, you know, this is the sniper. And someone on whatever line he called is like, you need to call the tip line and like gives him the number and then disconnects the call. Yeah, okay, okay, sir. Yeah. You know, yeah, thanks for calling. All right. So the sniper called after, after not having luck with the tip line, the sniper called the Montgomery County Police and said, you should look into this shooting in Alabama so you can confirm that I really am the sniper. He was talking about a shooting in Montgomery, Alabama, 
And I just find it so confusing because we've got Montgomery County, Maryland and Montgomery, Alabama. So I'll just say Alabama. Okay. So the, so the police reached out, the, the Montgomery County police reached out to the police in Alabama who said they had an unsolved case of a convenience store robbery homicide. But nobody felt like this was a likely connection. It's different. It's a robbery. Yes, it's a robbery. And our snipers had not shown any interest in acquiring anything, robbing anything. They were just shooting people to kill them. Right. Um, It also, the weapon in that case was not a long-range rifle. And by this point, police had determined that it was a long-range Bushmaster rifle. That was not the weapon in this case. So it just really didn't seem to be a connection. No, that doesn't seem like a connection. Okay. Five days after the murder of Linda Franklin in the Home Depot parking lot, another shooting occurred in Ashland, Virginia, about an hour south of Fredericksburg, which is where Caroline Sewell had been shot. So we're now an hour south of her. So they're moving farther out from the city. 37-year-old Jeffrey Hopper and his wife, Stephanie, were leaving a Ponderosa restaurant when the shot rang out. They had intentionally gone farther south for dinner to be out of the sniper danger zone. Oh, my God. They were driving from somewhere up north, I think down to Florida, and they were like, you know, do not stop in D.C., do not stop in northern Virginia. Like, we have to get farther south before we stop. And they freaking stop right where the snipers are. They drove right into it. Isn't that just nuts? 18 days and five operations later, Jeff would survive the shooting. Okay, good. At the Ponderosa shooting, investigators found a Ziploc bag with a four-page note inside. They were also able to recover some DNA from the bag itself. Um... The investigator said it was like a Ziploc. And so when you rub your fingers along a Ziploc to close it, you leave some DNA behind. Dumbass. The DNA did not match anything in the FBI's national database. The note began, For you, Mr. Police, call me God, and continued on to demand $10 million deposited in a bank account. The note also said the sniper would call the Ponderosa restaurant where Jeff Hopper had been shot at 6 a.m. the next day. So Chief Moose gave one of his press conferences where he talked to the sniper and he said, we do want to talk to you. Call us at the number you provided. And the call came through that next morning. The call was traced to a gas station in nearby Richmond, Virginia. So of course, police swarm the gas station and guess what they find? Bullets. A white cattle truck. Ah, okay. With two dudes. One of them's using a payphone. So police surround these two dudes. They were not the snipers. (laughs) Okay, just two guys. They were two undocumented immigrants. They were subjected to body cavity searches. And then these guys were turned over to immigration and naturalization services and deported from the United States. They're just two dudes who happen to be at a gas station where the snipers made a phone call and they happen to be in or near a white panel truck. All right. 
The latest letter from the snipers, the one from the Ponderosa, again referenced a shooting in Montgomery, Alabama. So again, the police reach out to the police in Alabama, who now revealed that they had a fingerprint from a magazine found at the scene of their shooting. A magazine like a paper magazine that somebody had dropped. It was a good enough print that they were able to run it through the federal databases and and they found a match. Lee Boyd Malvo, a 17-year-old immigrant from Jamaica who had been fingerprinted previously by immigration officials in Washington State. Washington State is where the tip line caller Robert Holmes is. Things are coming together. The next day, October 22nd, 35-year-old bus driver Conrad Johnson was shot and killed while standing on the steps of his bus in Aspen Hill, Maryland. The snipers had returned to Montgomery County where they began. Investigators found another note which said, your incompetence has cost you another life. So that guy was probably leaving for work. His old lady's like, I'm nervous because you're going to sniper. And he's like, don't worry. I drive a bus. Bam. Yep. Wow. I mean, you just never know. You really did. You really don't. So investigators are now researching Lee Boyd Malvo. And they discover that there had been something of a custody battle between Malvo's mom and a 41-year-old man named John Allen Muhammad, who had helped Malvo and his mother enter the United States illegally. Have we mentioned, have you mentioned him yet? Or was John that... Allen Muhammad is the friend of Robert Holm okay. Tacoma, Washington. All right, that's what I thought. Oh, wow, okay. So this dude who's like, hey, this sniper thing sounds like it could be my army buddy was right. And what I'm wondering is, does he know that... The... Uh, Mohammed just wasn't right in the head, you know, because I'm sure there's guys like that when you're all, you know, on the sniper team and you're like, Johnny's not quite right. You know, like uh, he's okay here in the army, but like, what's he going to be like on the outside? There's probably a bunch of military snipers re- uh, retired and whatnot. Oh, sure. All across the country who yeah. know other snipers who they used to serve with who are in the DC area and they're not calling the hotline going, Hey, it might be Tom or somebody else, but this guy called because he was like, you know what, Muhammad's in that area, and from what I remember about Muhammad, he wasn't quite right in the head. He's probably the guy who was doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a vendetta. He had whatever. Oh, he also had a long-range rifle and practiced, you know, target shooting with his young friend, Lee Malvo. Wow. Yeah, the whole thing is so weird. I mean, the age difference between these two guys, Lee Lee Malvo, who is 17, and John Muhammad, who's 41, is just super weird. It is weird. I remembered one of the snipers was young and one was older. When we were talking about the kid that got shot, the 13-year-old, I was thinking, I wonder if that's because of the 17-year-old, if he was a little closer in age, so it might have been easier for him to say, hey, let's shoot this 13-year-old. Mm, yeah, doesn't feel so much like a kid to him because it's yeah. almost a peer. I mean, I'm not right. going to kill anybody, but I could not imagine myself killing a child. Okay. Um, well, I'm glad to know that. Yeah. I mean, unless he really deserved it. <laughs> okay. So Robert Holmes 
has called the tip line again at this point, you know, to say, hey, like, I'm really feeling like this might be John Muhammad. And at this point now, he's uh, he's no longer lost. Like, he's made a connection with the police. So the police ask Robert Holmes to listen to a recording of the phone call between the snipers and the police when the snipers called the Ponderosa restaurant. And he positively identified the caller as Lee Boyd Malvo. He also told police that Muhammad's ex-wife Mildred lived in the D.C. area and that Muhammad had been devastated when Mildred received custody of their children in the split. So the police now have a possible motive. Also, now that they had names for their suspects, police were able to find a car registration for John Muhammad. The car was a blue 1990 Chevy Caprice with New Jersey plates. It's just a matter of time. Once they get your name, I mean, you're done. You can't hide for long. No. Police issued a be on the lookout, a bolo to the public for the car. And apparently this, um, you know, this decision of theirs to issue the bolo, you know, is pretty risky because they're letting the snipers know at this point, we know who you are and we know what car you're in. But they also just said the risk of not getting them was too great. So they made the decision to issue this bolo. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty good gamble because they're just going to keep killing people anyway. Yeah. Until you get them, they're just going to keep popping people. Late at night on October 24th, a refrigerator repairman named Whitney Donahue was on his way home from Maryland to Pennsylvania and heard on the radio that police were looking for this blue Chevy Caprice with New Jersey plates. When he pulled into a rest stop and saw a car matching the description, He looked, and the plates matched what he had written down. He pulled into a spot near the car and called 911. Tactical units moved in and took down the snipers quickly and easily. I have that written down. But then in listening to a different account, it seems like it may have actually taken them a few hours to secure the scene and so Whitney Donahue is like, I had to sit there for hours while they went through all this. But the deal was the snipers were asleep in the car. So tactical units were securing the scene, blocking all points of escape. And I guess they just weren't in a tremendous hurry. <laughs> the snipers are sound asleep. So they did all of that. They blocked all Good. exits. They even commandeered a tractor trailer from a truck driver to like help in blocking all the escapes for the snipers. And then the SWAT team went in and boom, they had them. And one thing that I find so beautifully ironic is that the man who spotted the sniper's vehicle, Whitney Donahue, was himself driving a white van. So I love that they got caught by a guy in a white van. That is pretty cool. Because we were all looking out for white van. Every time somebody got shot, the highways would get completely shut down and police would search all white vans and white panel trucks. I mean, everyone thought this thing was happening from a white van. And well, there was no reason. It, somebody just saw a white van one time, right? And so they just said- Somebody saw a white van. And so then anytime there was a shot, everyone would look around for a white van. And guess what you're always going to find? White vans. So like did white did white van sales go down in 2002? 
I just know that they awakened terror in me. Like if I saw a white van, I was just like, that could be it. That wow. could be them. All right. So here's the part you've been waiting for. They just go up and knock on the window and they, just, they throw like slash bang grenades in there. Like, why did these guys go down, fight, go down shooting? You know? Well, they were asleep. One of them was supposed to be the lookout while the other slept. And whoever the lookout was fell asleep. Mm. So they were sound asleep. And I think the SWAT team, I mean, I think these guys opened their eyes and just had yeah, sure. guns pointed at their faces. I just don't right. think there was anything they could do. Mm. Police seized a stolen rifle from Muhammad's car. It was a Bushmaster XM-15 semi-automatic 223 caliber rifle equipped with a Bushnell holographic weapon sight effective at ranges of up to 984 feet. So that's like roughly 300 yards. Ballistics later confirmed that this was the weapon that killed at least 11 of the victims. Okay. I mean, I'm not too impressed really with that as far as sniper ability. Um, and that's all they have. All they have is this one gun, and it's a gun that Malvo had stolen. I mean, that's why they have this one gun. Yeah. And they're going to be shooting people in the middle of the city. They don't need to be, you know, super far away. When I say I'm not impressed, it was just a side comment on it. It's yeah. not like these guys were just like amazing snipers that's just an average shot it's not even why a great, do you have to be so judgmental that's yeah, just how i am i'm not impressed they were, they were really impressed with themselves they were impressed with themselves sure they, they were, were god they, this is god um and then here's the thing that blew all of our minds okay. when this was released was that well first of all that it was a chevy caprice and that the Chevy Caprice had been modified to allow access to the trunk from the yeah. back seat. That's which what I. Now, which these days, I think in a, in a lot of cars, you can pull the back seat down and get in the trunk, but that was not the case in a 1990 Chevy Caprice. Once inside the trunk, the sniper could lie prone, so lay on their belly, and take shots through a small hole created for that purpose near the license plate. Yeah, that's that's what I remember. Yeah, didn't even look like a hole. It looked like the license plate frame had had broken. <sighs> Clever. Yeah, that's pretty damn smart, you know. And then the the shot happens, and then the dude just drives away. Car's probably already running. Nobody thinks that's the guy who did it because he was sitting in the car. Yeah, I remember when I heard that. I thought that's pretty smart. Yeah. <sighs> I just remember thinking, "Son of a bitch!" Like at least I figured somebody was like getting out of a white van or rolling down the window of a white van. But no, they're they're hiding in the trunk of a car. You couldn't see them no matter what. No matter how eagle-eyed you were, you would not see this. I just remember, I remember being really angry about it. Like, no matter what I did, I couldn't win. Mm -mm. All right, so they both get apprehended. Malvo initially remained silent, but then Detective June Boyle got him to talk. She offered him some food and water. And once he started talking, he didn't stop. Yeah. That's what you always say. As soon as you start talking, you know, you're just your tendency is to keep going. He confessed to everything in great detail, almost like he was bragging. And he claimed that he had personally pulled the trigger on each victim. Malvo referred to John Muhammad as his best friend and sometimes as his father. And it was evident that the two were extremely close. They had practiced sniping in the woods 
of Washington State before beginning a cross-country killing spree. They started killing people before they got to the D.C. area. So it's believed that Muhammad and Malvo killed over 20 people across the United States in September and October of 2002. Wow. Wow. It's just, you know, what goes on in people's brains to start killing people. I mean, that's a whole other episode. You can start talking about that. That's what we'll get into next week when we continue talking about these guys is we'll talk more about, okay, why did they do this? How did these guys, how did this 17-year-old and this 41-year-old end up together? We can talk a bit about that. How did they meet and how did they partner up? Was Lee Boyd Malvo brainwashed by Muhammad? That's the first thing you think when you see this young kid, you know, is that somehow he's like following along. Is that the case? And then we can talk about their two trials and what happened to them and where they are today. Wow. So that is the end of part one of the Beltway Snipers. And we'll pick it up next week with part two. Awesome. Awesome. Sounds good. Well, let's sign out then. I'm Tom. And I'm Chris. And the defense rests.